0: Hello everybody, today we are joined by David Flatman, a former England international with eight caps to his name and is now a leading commentator and broadcaster for coverage of both club rugby and international rugby. Hello Flats, welcome to the Wilco and Hoff show.
1: Hello chaps, um, hello Wilco, hello Hoff, hello Paul, hello Flo. <laughs> uh, I like the intro, it's alright. Um it wasn't as cringe as you suggested it might be, but I try and <laughs> leave I try and leave out the fact I only got eight caps. Um I just I like going with just former England International because people <laughs> forget. And the longer you're retired, yeah, often the more of a legend yeah. you become. Um so I quite, you know, feel free to leave that bit out next time and just saying former England prop, that, that'll that do me.
2: Okay, perfect. notes for next time.
0: Yeah. Flo,
1: do you want to kick
2: us kick us under when? Yeah, so um, you started your career at Saracens. Can you tell us a bit about your time there, both kind of on and off the pitch?
1: I, I, did, I had a good time, really, overall. Um, I was very lucky. I kind of, I left school and <laughs> um, so I, I, I without going too far back, I was kind of what I would call normal schools until I was uh, did my GCSEs. And then I went to Dulwich College for two years and not in the sense that, Some colleges, some big private schools now get talented players in to the sixth form to help with their sports program and all that. I, you know, we didn't have a huge amount of money, but what you know, mum and dad managed to find a way to get me out of where I was, where I wasn't exactly flourishing, and send me somewhere where I could take rugby seriously and maybe even buy into school life a little bit, which I'd never really done and. Uh, I think that the reality is people who go to these schools often try and deny it. But I think the reality is that there is there are just more eyes on you when you're at a top playing for a top private school team actually is what I think. Not always. I live in Bath and the local boys state school is the best rugby school in the area. It's got a brilliant rugby programme, really close ties with Bath rugby. So it's not always like that. And it's a lot less like that than it used to be. But let's just not pretend it wasn't something it was. Uh, And I went from there. To, I signed a contract to Saracens after I, you know, before I'd even done my A levels, and um, I was really lucky because we had amazing players Francois Pienaar, who won the World Cup with South Africa as captain. He was our, you know, he was our blindside. Richard Hill, Tony Diprose. We had Danny Grucock Scott Murray, who got nearly hundred caps for Scotland. We had Paul Wallace, who was the tight head on the Lions tour that they won in ninety nine, ninety seven, and Kieran Bracken. You know, Damien Penault plays for France now. We had Alan Penault yeah. at by half for a year. We had Tim. <laughs> Tim Horan may be the greatest 12 of all time. Um, a wild team. I mean, there's there's British Lions I haven't even mentioned. The Internationals I haven't even mentioned. We had a, a great team. So for a few years, I really enjoyed it. I was there for five years. And to be honest, the last year or two, I kind of stagnated a bit. I was a bit over it. I didn't. The club wasn't in great shape. Nigel Ray, the owner, um, a much discussed man in the last five years, uh, the owner of Saracens. I... Um, I've never shied away during the whole salary cap scandal from saying what I thought but I you know as a man I I love that man and um he was brilliant and I always was a great guy but actually the club wasn't going in the right direction for me and a lot of us left at kind of the same time and um didn't finish on a sour note it just I felt I've got to move from here really I'm I'm playing every week which is great but I'm not sure I'm getting any better so I went somewhere in Bath where you know they had a coach who everyone was saying was brilliant for front rowers in Michael Foley, who played for Australia, and glad I made the move because twenty years later I'm still here.
2: Yeah. So when you moved to Bath, do you think you found there were many cultural, like cultural differences between Saracens and Bath from when you moved, or was it quite a similar setup in terms of playing both on and off the pitch?
1: I think you. you... You can make more of the cultural stuff, really, if you want. I mean, we, we lived in London at Sarri's, of course, and I lived with Tom Shanklin in Stoke Newington in quite a cool flat. And we got out a bit and, you know, we had we popped out every now and again and we had a good time. But it's quite disparate when you live in London. Bath, off-field, like quality of life off-field is, I don't know if it's unrivaled, but it'd be pretty close um, to being unrivaled as, as, as sort of premiership rugby club environments go. So, yes, you do the elite sport bit. But most of us lived in town and or close to it, and we hung out a lot together. We partied a lot, sure, but we also had a lot of cappuccinos. Flat whites weren't a thing then, lads. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of chocolate brownies, and you know, we basically sat and people watched a lot and hung out in town. And we were we were kind of without... We we were in town a lot. We were we were kind of a, a real sort of big presence in town. Not like we I, I don't know how to phrase that any better. I'll try. Not like we walk into town and we're a big presence. Yeah. There were always Bath rugby players knocking around town, and um, that means that you're kind of embedded in the town, and when things yeah. are going brilliantly, it's the best place in the world to play club rugby. When things are going badly, it's probably among the worst uh, because it's quite intimate.
0: And did you notice a difference between, obviously, going from Saracens, as you say, in London, you, you know, you're competing with other sports, obviously, there'll be plenty of football fans, and You've just got loads of tourists around London in general. When you go to Bath, then it's a smaller city. You know, they don't really have a football team there. I think Bath City, they're not even in the top.
1: Excuse me, Bath City, mate. I'm I'm taking my girls there playing playing Braintree Town on Tuesday night. We're going down there for a couple of pints, mate. Apologies,
0: I'm rubbing you out the wrong way. Uh, You know what, what non-league
1: football, do you know what? You swap ends at half-time. The fans swap ends at half-time. So the team's always attacking the goal you're behind or the goal you're nearer. That's a good right? shout. Um, but anyway, would you, you say, event, okay,
0: say. if I could, if, I, yeah, would you say that was then a difference for you as well? Kind of, was that a more intense experience on yeah, the rugby it,
1: side? It, it's, it's completely different. It's incomparable. In London, you disappear, um, which can, has pros and cons. In Bath, you don't. You, you develop a much tighter network, um, a big, you know, but <clears throat> you know everyone really to a point. And there's there's pros and cons to it. Like, you know, I'll be honest, the sort of thing you can you can say these things and sound a bit tossy, but I'll just say it as it is. You know, my daughters, for example, they like walking into town with me. We live in town. but They like walking into town with me. Um, they like the idea of it and they like the idea they're going to get a hot chocolate or A new lipstick or something when we get into town or whatever but actually whenever we do it they're reminded that they don't like it very much because someone recognizes you and says hi or vice versa every 20 meters and just this morning I you know my my wife got our baby in the buggy and we got the dog and she walked with me down to the gym so she then popped off into town and I went into the gym and we got to the bottom of our street and knew someone we said see you later had a chat with him see you later we literally it is as we turned around, we saw someone else. Hey, Flats, how are you doing? And then we walked down further and we see someone else and says, oh, can I ask you a question? What's going to happen this weekend? You know, Scotland, what's going to happen with England? And and my wife is like, you literally, you say you literally can't move. Of course I can move, I'm walking. But you literally <laughs> can't leave the house yeah. without someone saying hi. And there's that's fine because everyone's lovely and it's if you can't deal with it, you're in the wrong place. But what I would say is that I've thought, I've wondered for a while whether that is something um, that I don't mind or I don't like. I certainly don't mind it. I certainly, I don't, certainly don't dislike it. Is it something that feeds my ego a bit? I don't know. I, the The answer I want to give is no, and I think I'm, I think I'm being truthful when I say it doesn't feed my ego, and I could live without it. But I've never had to live without it down here because everyone knows who you are. So yeah. I couldn't tell you, but it is significantly more people are significantly more interested in you here but everyone's lovely so it's fine
2: and then as a former international would you what would you say it's the biggest step up from club rugby to international
1: well like, this is the thing like I didn't get a load of caps and so you could argue <laughs> that I wasn't capable of making a step up uh, enough but <clears throat> I think if I I would never have got 100 caps but I think I wasn't good enough but I had I not had, I had a lot of um long and annoying injuries when I played that ruled me out of selection a lot of times and I would have got I'm very confident of saying I would have got a good number more caps but I don't think I would have been a a superstar Um, I just wasn't athletic enough I was strong enough but not athletic enough really and um, but that that notwithstanding the games I played I loved Um, and I remember playing against some. you know I was a prop of course so I played against some top props some of the top props in the world you know and I played against them at Heineken Cup level a lot from a young age and Prem and a few with England and tour matches and that sort of stuff and there's the odd one where you think Christ, this guy is just stronger than I am, but you know, I'm a young fella so I've got some growing to do yet, and all that, but actually, I loved it and physically always felt fine when I played at that level um but it's not about getting their wants and feeling fine, it's about getting their wants and it actually feeling so natural that you can do it again 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 again, and not get hurt so. I don't know. I When I went to Saracens, I was pretty much straight in the first team from school at prop. And that sounds great. And I played my hundredth game when I was really young and that sounds great. But actually, you know, my shoulders turned to chocolate. I, I played way too many games too young. I think looking back, it's no one's fault, but, you know, so maybe had I not done that, had there been a senior player in front of me for longer at Saracens and I was able to bed my way in a bit, I might have been a bit more been a bit luckier with injuries and you know be able to give you a fuller answer on the differences ultimately the pace the power is the best of the best isn't it but yeah you know the, the, the games I played I loved it
0: I'm talking there about kind of your workload at a young level there's obviously a lot of chat now about you know England trying to introduce these hybrid contracts you know make sure their game time is monitored a bit more when you look at, say, players in Ireland, they're all on central contracts and their seasons are a lot more manageable. Would you say that that, you're mentioning there that when you are a bit, when you probably played too much when you were young, do you think that problem has got worse as the years have gone on or has it got a bit better maybe?
1: Not really, because what has advanced hugely is how we treat the bodies um, and how the guys are looked after and we had great medical care we had great trainers, we had great coaches um, but things develop the thing is now we'll look at how Quinns and England and Chiefs and Scotland look after their players we'll look back in 20 years potentially and think bloody hell, can't believe they used to do that in 2024 (laughs) can't believe they were doing that, this is what we used to do, you'll have people like Marla and Genji saying, "This is what we used to do," and the lads will be like, "What? You're joking, mate? You're dinosaurs? That—that's how it goes. Like that's in rugby where it's such it's such physical demands. Football's a bit different because there just aren't the physical demands. There's huge fitness and repeated speed yeah. and skill and agility and huge you know, talent, but the physical demands are unarguably fewer. So, are arguably reduced. So, compared with professional rugby union, so the advances are huge and." We look. I look back and think we trained wrong. You know, that's that was more what it's about. And yes, they they played me. It's not I wanted to play. I had. I remember play having broken bones and saying, Do you want to play or not? And I said, Of course I want to play. We'll cut the cast off then. And literally cutting a cast off broken bones to play at the weekend. And you think that I wasn't being a hero. I was just desperate not <laughs> yeah. to lose my place. I had. I was 18, 19. I had a place in the first team with all these guys. And the physio said he can't play. He's broken it. He's in a cast. He's been to hospital. He's in a cast. And I chinned somebody basically and broke my hand, and which was quite embarrassing. <laughs> um, who was it? I chinned. I can't remember. I chinned someone and broke my hand. Whacked him and broke my hand. And they, um, I'll tell you who it was. It was a guy called Philippe Benetton who played for France. Um, it didn't hurt him either. It just hurt me. And <laughs> did that. And the coach was like, "Look, do you want to play or not? It's just a hand." I said, "Yeah, cut it off." The physio said, "I'm not doing it." I said, "Well, give me that then. Cut it off. Training now. Hand was all dry and crispy underneath it. You know, rub a bit of az into your hand and go out, tape it up, and go out and play with a busted hand. And it's like it's not cool or clever. It's like I wish I hadn't done it. I look back and think, why did I do that? Why didn't I just have a week off with a broken? They said you need a month off, and I was straight in. I played three days later, and you're like, right, it's stupid. Yeah." that was what we did, like, and there are there far more serious injuries than that than everyone played with, but the guys are looked after much better now. Right, okay,
0: and then sticking on the club game, obviously quite a few issues in the Premiership at the minute in particular, you know, clubs going under um crowd crowds kind of crowd numbers dwindling, not too many sold out stadiums. What do you think is going wrong? I know that's quite a broad that's a very broad question but if you could kind of introduce one or two things to try and really bring a bit more impetus into the english club game what would that be
1: wilco can i can i risk humiliating you on your own pod yeah of course you can a couple of weeks a couple of rounds ago more people turned up at premiership rugby grounds than have ever turned up before right Re- record crowds yeah. I'm not making it up. Like, No, I know,
0: I know. But that was because, wasn't that because Bristol sold out? But Bristol don't usually...
1: Bristol have massive crowds. Like, I, I went to a Bristol, right. I think it was last season, might be this season, I can't remember. Yeah. Saturday night, like, I got. I think it got, I forget what happened, but it was like 5.30 or 7 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday night or something. Crap slot. Terrible slot. Bristol, Sarri's dark, pissing with rain. Yeah. I think Sarri's won in the end. Like, you know, something like, 12-6. wasn't a great game. 18,000 right. people. You're like, Bristol get great crowds. And okay. So actually, actually, people, there's all, I think there was, there was, and there was always going to be a bit of a lull, a bit of a slow start after the World Cup because people are fatigued. People aren't always yeah. aware that two tournaments are going on and people have invested a lot of time in watching the World Cup. So they take a break, consciously or unconsciously. Bit of a slow start, but actually the crowds now, I think, are fantastic round on round in the premiership. So I actually think that's all right. And the quality of the games, I mean, what what rugby likes to do, I'm not here to deny that there are things that aren't going brilliantly. That's not, I don't, you know, I'm not a spokesperson for premiership rugby here and
3: yeah. whatever.
1: I'm not doing a PR job. But what rugby loves to do is beat itself up. Rugby loves to whack itself over the head with a stick. And right. actually, the game, the three clubs going bust was just awful, right? It's just awful. There's no way around it. However, what has happened is that some of the best players have been sprinkled around the other clubs, and they have all got better. The mm-hmm. best players at Bath Rugby last season were Ted Hill when he played and Ollie Lawrence. The best yeah. player at Bath Rugby so far this season, probably Finn Russell, then Ollie Lawrence, right? So yeah. you, you've got, there's, there's loads of examples of that of, you know, great players, Chandler Cunningham South, you know, going to Quinns. And yeah, there's, you know, there's Kyle Rowe, not in the Premiership, admittedly, but actually he's gone on and been brilliant for Scotland. So there's, there's low, yeah. uh, Ben Hardy and Sir Van Rensburg going to Bristol. Probably their best player. When you consider <laughs> the rock stars they've got, it's probably their best player. So it the the overall level has improved. And it was the product, I hate the word product, but the product was great last season to watch. It okay. was brilliant. The prem yeah. is now better to watch than it was last season. It's actually great to watch. Numbers attending are really good. I don't know the TV numbers. The numbers attending are really good. So there's a lot going right. So what what happens is that people that doesn't there was this. Um, I'm going on a tangent now, lads, but you invite yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> it's what I do. Um, there was some research done um, in during the election that I think Trump won when Donald Trump won the election there was some research done and the research concluded that bad news spreads seven times faster than good news right so you're seven times more likely to click on it and look at it or share it okay so it's seven times more visible so what happens is it's just it's you two as well and me it's everybody we all we all for some reason, part of the human condition or lots, many of us, you know, seven in eight of us, whatever, like to look at and concentrate on the negative in certain circumstances. So there is this kind of innate pessimism and something else we do in rugby union in England is we continually tell people it's too complicated for them to understand. Yeah. If you tune in and you're told you won't understand this, guys, you fuck off again. Excuse my language. Yeah. Well on this pod. <laughs> You, well, yeah, my, you are now. Yeah, okay. you, just, you, just, you just piss off again. Like, yeah. See, do you know what? It's a bit like yeah. There's some complicated stuff, but actually, I feel like saying sometimes that is actually really complicated. Um, don't worry about it. All you need to know is that. And um, but that's yeah. a bit patronising. But as a commentator, you've got to gauge that a bit, and you've got to gauge how much detail you go into because it. And there there are times when you have to concede that you don't know, and that's all right. So. I did this thing recently. Um, Geth Jones, Welsh TV presenter, said any chance you can fill in for someone and pop on to you know, BBC breakfast show with Sarah Cox, like who's a legend. I was like, oh my God, yeah. Just via Zoom, you know, from my hotel in Marseille where I was commentating that night. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, I don't really know the rules or anything. I was like, yeah, yeah, you don't need to. You can turn on, enjoy massive blokes smashing into each other, enjoy the odd break so you can look at your phone and talk to your mates. You can enjoy quick people doing amazing things, great bits of skill, few tries, like load, loads more scores than a game of football. Also, love football, by the way. But you don't worry about it. Like, yeah. I could watch yeah. the Super Bowl, not know half the laws, and enjoy it. Just you enjoy, enjoy it. it.
2: Yeah.
1: And you don't have to sit there, laser focused, wondering what all the laws are. That's keynotes. 99, 95% of viewers, at least of international rugby, are not keynotes. That's the only rugby they watch. So, yeah. I, I think I think we beat ourselves up a little bit. Actually, is what I think.
2: I think also then, along alongside the laws, there's been quite a lot of change recently, especially in the last few years surrounding law changes. Is there anything you'd specifically want changed or maybe brought back with laws? Because there's been an introduction to fifty twenty two as well with. When players go over the try line, it's held up. They've changed that rule as well. Would you want to see the scrum five come back, or anything in particular get changed?
1: I yeah, the fifty twenty two stays. I'm not sure it's had quite the impact uh, people hoped it might, but I think it should stay. It's good, and it's a great bit of skill when it's executed. And and actually, I find myself watching a lot of games and thinking, especially when I'm in the ground commentating live, yeah. you realise how good these guys are at kicking the top guys, yeah. and how much space there is. I'm often surprised there, are, there aren't more fifty twenty twos. actually. I'm often surprised because there aren't many. You, you often go a top-class game without seeing one. I mean, you go multiple games in a row without seeing one. So that, that often surprises me. Um, don't lose any sleep over it, lads, but it surprises me a bit. Um, <laughs> no. I, yeah, the, what, the thing about the drop, goal line dropout is it's probably better to watch because scrums are boring. That's the narrative. I don't think scrums are boring, but I'm biased. What I would, because I was a prop, what I would say is and I tend to understand what's going on. Not always, and I get it wrong too, <laughs> but what everyone does, even the players get it wrong when they're on the field, just so you know, you know, it's not an exact science. But the narrative around scrums, I think I don't think it's incorrect. I think they can be really boring. I watched England Wales last week, the other week with Phil Vickery. We sat next to each other and he goes, he said something along the lines of Fuck me, it's taken how long has this scrum taken to actually, since he blew the whistle with this and that and joshing around and this, it was minutes. It was multiple minutes to get going again. said, so if you just tuned in, I was like, if you just tuned into this and we love it, we love scrums, the two of us sitting there like a couple of nerds. And we're like, this is so dull. It's not the player's fault. It's not the rest. It's no one's fault. I think scrums aren't boring. I think the amount of time they take to actually bloody well, get going and get done mm. is boring. Yeah. Cause it's a weird thing. It's like, Oh, Someone loses their balance, right, come out, lads, reset. You see people physically walk away. They physically walk yeah. away because it's like when you watch a top tennis player, they have a little routine before they serve. I do it, bounce it five times, do that, bounce it two twice more, then serve. All right, that's a little routine. But if seven out of the eight people, if eight people have got a little routine that takes ages, it yeah. takes ages to form a scrum. And I yeah. don't think people mind reset scrums. I think they mind the break in time. They're tight, yeah. So, I like the idea of shivving shivvying them along. Luke Pearce does it better than any other ref, I think. Shivvy them along, lads. Get going. Get in. Yeah. But here's the rub: as soon as a referee rushes somebody, and they hurt themselves, yeah, you, you rushed me. I've now hurt myself. So everyone's shitting themselves, right? Mm. So there there is a conundrum there, and when I was a player, just for the record, I took as long as possible to set up so I could rest and get my breath back. That is what happens, <laughs> but it's not that's not a good enough reason. I did it so I'm a hypocrite, but it's not a good enough reason, and I would have struggled to yeah. argue that when I was playing
3: yeah.
1: um but it is what I think so i I would try and I would have conversations around speeding the scrum up actually do you think, think, do you think w- w- once it takes less time it, People stop talking about that. Yeah.
2: Do you think those scrums are slightly too difficult to referee, though, at the moment, in terms of, do you think teams are trying to milk penalty after penalty at scrum rather than trying to get it out and that's making it harder for referees? Or is it fine as it is at the moment?
1: Uh, teams are going for penalties. They're not trying to milk penalties. They're going for penalties. Yeah. Every now and again, a team tries to milk one. Just so you know, the only way to really milk a penalty is if you go to engage and the lads are so close now before they engage used to be like, we were like, when I played, we were like mountain goats, yeah. you're like miles apart. And you smash in and you hit and go. And it was verging on lawless, right? It's wild, but it was great, but <laughs> they're so close. Now there's like a, whatever It's a six inch hit or a four inch hit, but you can still yeah. lose it. You can still lose a hit and lose your body shape a bit. And you think I'm screwed here. When the ball comes in, they're going to shove me backwards and I'm going to be embarrassed. Right? So what happens is if you lose the hit, you can almost back off deliberately to make it look like the opposition are pushing early. That's what you can do early, sir, early. So I think Luke, So it happened to Luke Pierce, Luke Pierce, I think did the Ireland Italy game that I commentated on the other week. I, I, I misremember things quite a lot, but, and he said, you're pulling back penalty. I was like, yeah. good lad, Piercy. That is milking a penalty. He's yeah. lost the hit. That's kind of the only way you can do it. Collapsing a scrum under pressure is not cheating. It's collapsing, collapsing. If you're going backwards is quite hard Um, it's quite hard usually you just overcome you're not cheating so milking penalties there aren't that many ways to do it but a lot of teams go for penalties at scrum because it's a weapon and it can gain them 50 or 3 points so I like like the scrum being a weapon it's a key part of rugby union but at some point if they don't hurry it up and make it less of a dull spectacle I think they will end up depowering it and I actually think that's the wrong way to go for the game
2: and then in terms of the kick tennis, which I think has been, well, it came up in the Scotland-France game, especially last week, or well, two weeks ago, and also at Bath a couple of weeks ago as well. What What are your opinions on that? And they're tri- they're
1: trialling something already, aren't they? They're already trying yeah. something. Is it in New Zealand they're trialling it?
2: Yeah, I think it is, yeah.
1: Yeah, they're trialling yeah. so- I think it's New Zealand or France. I think it's New Zealand. They're trying something to get rid of that straight away. So that. Yeah, This is one of those episodes that we, in a year's time, I don't reckon we'll be talking about it anymore. There's just a loophole in the law, DuPont's law, don't they call it basically? (laughs) Everyone could just stand still and it's crap. But actually, actually, it is crap. But I kind of hope it happens on Sunday when I commentate, because I think we can have quite (laughs) a lot of that. And I could say, just so you know, the laws are going to change, but someone's found a loophole so all the big lads can stand still. And let me tell you, they are the greatest moments of the game for these guys. That is just a beautiful <laughs> yeah. moment. You feel like your lungs are going to explode, and I am now legitimately helping my team by standing still. It's like Christmas Day every time someone kicks it. It's this beautiful thing. Like, just look at those big bastards breathing. Look at the oxygen they're sucking in. That, you yeah. know, whatever whatever the collective noun is for gorillas. I'm not sure what is it. It's not a true. Forget what it is. But you know, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's a, not a parliament. I don't know what it is. Collect, yeah. I don't know, but it's mm-hmm. like look at them sucking it in, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sort of think, well, have a bit of fun with it for another few months, and it'll disappear then. Interesting. I, I, I would also yes. like to see the caterpillar Ruck go. Yeah, I can't stand that.
2: How would how would you change it in terms of? Just
0: have a match on the number of people you can put in,
1: part. or? Well, no, not no. I don't think you can do that. I I think there are problems with that. But once a person is. You know, you've basically got one player who can bind on with his shoulders, extend his leg and be the hindmost foot. And if another yeah. person then joins, he doesn't count. He's not the hindmost foot anymore. So actually, you, I, it, it would be reasonably, it's really re- reasonably easy to see a ruck with one person sticking their leg out versus two or three people binding onto each other, sticking their rear legs out. Yeah. So it it does hand an advantage to a defensive team, which is not necessarily what we want to do. I would say the attacking box kicking team having all the advantage at the Caterpillar Ruck isn't making the game better to watch. I would say a charge down, the threat of a charge down makes the game better to watch, I would argue.
0: Yeah, very true. Now, something unlike that DuPont law, something that might be around a bit longer to stay. I'm sure you've seen it. The report that was done by some academics at Winchester, Nottingham, Trent and Bournemouth unis that have described playing rugby in schools as a form of child abuse. Yeah. Now, I know you've got two young daughters. Um, I just want to kind of get your take on a former pro. What would you, what would your I'm reaction the to one. Be? In my
1: relationship with my daughters, I'm the abused one. <laughs> I'm, I am the victim here. I'm being like, I don't know what the word is, but I'm in trap. I'll have to pay for loads of things I hate, experiences I hate. Um, the emotional toll on me is far greater than it is on them um my girls aren't interested in rugby so in playing. Right. right so um that's it's never going to be a problem for me I don't think well I've got four girls the big two aren't the little two might be who knows yet um yeah I, it's difficult because I'll be quite honest my my initial like honest reaction on the inside is this is so silly mm. um so let's not talk about it but actually, I think I do think we're in an age where. Dismissing people's opinions that don't match your own has become a bit of a disease. It's a bit chronic and uh, what, what is also chronic, you know, something of which they are guilty. These people who've written this thing and described it as child abuse and. All that is that it, it's almost like every any position you take on anything now that isn't how you have your tea has to be extreme. You have to it have to it has to be at one extreme or the other um and I just it I, my my gut reaction is it what I think about it is it's silly of course it's not a form of child abuse um no one's ringing child line because mummy or daddy's forcing them to play rugby it's like come on it, the, the benefits of team sport are just massive they're massive I, my, my girls play hockey and netball they play at school I would love them to love it enough to want to do a Sunday club as well but they kind of don't quite and it's I don't care how good they are couldn't give a shit I don't even know how good they are I watch them I don't I don't they're all right I don't <laughs> care I genuinely don't care if they lose 20 nil every week as long as it's a good crack with their mates and they're out in the open air I don't care um but it, the benefits of team sport are I don't need to list them now but there are things like you know from a young age being relied upon by other people and delivering and it feels good relying on other people and they deliver for you and that feels good and they're proud to deliver for you and re- being relied upon and failing and being forgiven in a millisecond and forgiving others for upon whom you've relied for not delivering in the moment and yeah. people I also think I've said this repeatedly to probably ad nauseum in, in different outlets but I I think um, it's funny I. I won't name names because he's a mate, but um, I, would get a, I went to a dinner recently and someone asked me about the state of rugby type thing. And I said my answer. And then about two weeks later, someone said, oh, I was at a dinner with so-and-so who was next to me on the stage this night. And he, saw, he spoke really interestingly about rugby and said this and this. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's exactly what I said when I stood next to him two weeks ago. And then, it was in the paper last week, column, and all the comments underneath are like, this is amazing. Uh, so much better thank god someone's written this and i was like why didn't i write that because he has now written it and everyone thinks you know good on him but yeah (laughs) um but i i sort of think that um the most rugby is rugby in this country is in my opinion way too apologetic about what it is it's way too uncomfortable in its own skin rugby requires courage to play That is why it feels great when you finish playing it and while you're playing it, it requires courage that game, brilliant games like football and tennis and golf and cricket. They don't require the same courage. I think having a cricket ball hurled at you requires a lot of courage, by the way, to stand there. Um, That would terrify me. I would argue rugby doesn't require as much courage as boxing or mixed martial arts or kickboxing, but it requires a lot of courage and you do it with other people, which is great. So... I know individual athletes have a team around them, but it's not the same. They have a team behind them. Yeah. So when you're shoulder to shoulder with your mates and you're digging in for each other and you're turning up for each other and you're letting each other down, but going again and trusting each other and laughing and celebrating and crying together and getting hurt together and fixing together and it, it all that stuff is wonderful. And I think rugby needs to just bloody well accept that there is risk yeah. involved. Keep keep pushing the safety agenda. Let's do it. Let's make it safe. Like if my girls want to play, I want them to be as safe as possible. I want the standard as of, co- of coaching to be as safe as good as possible. I want as much medical care there as we can get. I want people qualified to help them if they hurt themselves. I want all of these things. But actually, it's kind of like, it, how much control over the safety of our children do we actually want? And that is that's an odd question because instinctively I've got a lot of children as I say I want complete control. I'm afraid you, you don't actually want complete control over your children. You want them to have their own things. You want them to go off and occasionally you want them to be naughty actually is the truth. You want them to jump off the odd bridge. You want them to swim in the odd river. You want them to have adventures like we did and I, I think there's all too much control being sought over that And I, and it's very easy if you're desperate for your kid not to play rugby or they don't like it, don't. That's never changed. Don't. just do. don't yeah. You know, yeah. I, there are certain things like my parents, when I was 21, I played for England, you know, and my parents wouldn't let me get a motorbike. They rang me and said, you are not getting one. You are a child. You're much bigger than us. You're, you're a grown man. You've got your own flat, your own house. You've got a job. You are not getting a motorbike. It's the only thing we've ever said no to, basically, in your whole life. You are yeah. not having one. So I, I wasn't allowed to do my test and as an adult. And there are things that are really, now? Yeah, I've got a bite now.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> but I, again, I I don't ride it much because they're words ringing in my ears, but I've got a lot to lose. But it's like, I only ride it when the weather's perfect, basically. But I think rugby needs to stop apologising. It needs to accept risk while not discounting the safety agenda at all. And I think if you look at the, the extreme example I often give is the NRL, Aussie Rugby League. They embrace the big shots. They embrace yes. the physicality. Boom, boom. They love it. A generation ago, they embraced the brawling like ice hockey does or did. You anyway, know, they embraced that. I think that is probably a step too far. Like, I secretly, like you guys, I love the brawling. I love it. Like, Gordon, <laughs> yeah, Tallis, who's, Gordon Tallis, who's a TV a, a pundit now, he kind of does my job at right. the NRL. He is an icon, much better player than I was, that's for sure. Icon, unbelievably aggressive, violent man. Amazing player. He is my all-time rugby league hero. And that is because he was so hard. And that's it. You know, that's it. Like, I'd love to have got chinned by him, but wear it like a badge of honour, you know? So that is why I loved him. I can't really remember his rugby that much. I just remember everyone he filled in. I love it. He pop's up now, all over. And I, people deny that. I love it. I had some fights when I was playing. I wasn't very good at it. I loved it, mate. I wasn't like super yeah. violent, some hard guy. I look back and think, oh, I love that. I miss that. I don't miss rugby at all, except colliding with people and the odd scrap that I wasn't very good at anyway. Like, (laughs) and I, and I think it's almost like it's weirdly politically or not politically societally inappropriate to say that now. And I think I don't hurt anyone now. I don't go, I'm going to watch bath city. I'm not going to headbutt anyone or go to the wreck and chin someone. I'm not, I'm, I'm a nice man. I just, I'm not a hooligan. I just enjoyed that side of it. And that's okay. Like, and I played with guys who were amazing players who didn't enjoy that. And I played with guys who enjoyed it more than I did. And that's okay. And I I think rugby needs to stop trying to be everyone's friend. Stop trying to be a Labrador. It's not everyone's friend. It's not a game for everyone. The greatest show on earth is football. The greatest sport on earth is football by a million miles,
0: yeah. by
1: all the metrics. And it is not a game for everyone. No one in my extended family, no one in my family watches 90 minutes, one a live football game every week no one none of my mates watch hardly any of my mates watch loads of football we all like yeah. it but football is not for everyone you know coffee is not for everyone it's fine <laughs> doesn't need to be it will never be everyone's frame because it's too yeah. hard it's too hard you know anyway that's what i think <laughs> um and
2: then i think when you finished your career at Bath, you became head of communications for them for about two years. And then how did you, from there, how did you get into punditry and commentating and broadcasting in general? Well,
1: basically, um, uh, and Wilco, I know we're running over here a bit, but don't worry about it. Yeah. I'm not worried if you're not. Okay, um, I think so, yeah. Right, um, In case you're stressing about it. Um, <laughs> the sandwich, <laughs> It. I, I basically, I've got a great agent and she's, <laughs> And she was like, do you want to try? I was injured when I was still playing. Do you want to try TV? No, thanks. Not interested. Well, I booked you in anyway, so you're doing it. Find yourself a suit. You're getting picked up at nine o'clock Sunday morning and that's it. It went from there and I always really enjoyed it and had lots to learn and still have lots to learn. But I took the job at Bath Rugby as comms director and actually bits of it I really enjoyed. But ultimately, without going too deep, I'm, I'm just not like a lot of sports people, but Myself, especially, I'm not cut out for what you might call a real job. And right. I've got, you know, my brain is wired slightly differently. And there are certain things I think I'm probably quite good at. And there are certain holes in my game, like admin, like keeping on top of things. And I, again, without going too deep, I'm just a couple of weeks away from being assessed by a psychiatrist for ADHD at the age of 44. And i so many things are falling into place since I started researching it and thinking this is no wonder I've never been able to do these things. And um, I mean, I genuinely I can stand in front of twelve hundred people and tell jokes and do stuff and have fun and interview people about all different sorts of things. I can go on live TV in front of millions of people. And I am it's you know, they're, your heart, your heart's going, but I'm all right. But if you ask me to arrange dinner for ten people, I actually can't do it like. I probably could, but I actually can't do those things. I can't do them. So I just couldn't operate in that environment, really. Um, so I have I've had to craft a career that allows me a lot of variety, a lot, a good amount of downtime. And actually where I can ad lib quite a lot because I can't I can't plan very well. My brain just doesn't allow it. So I'm trying to find out why there are all these blockers in my brain that stop me doing certain things. Um, But I got, I loved it and kept doing it basically. And they, I I kept doing it because I kept getting invited back. And that's it, really. That's why, that's why I'm still here. Um, I didn't have some master plan because I only got a few caps. So it's like you can't plan a career in TV if you're not a star player, you can't plan that. So it's what I desperately wanted and ended up doing quite a lot of TV. So, you know, um, thrilled really. So, brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and then I suppose the
3: final main topic that we'd like to just get your get your views on again is um social media. Cause I've I've seen in previous interviews you've done, you've kind of you've expressed your hatred would be a strong word, but your distaste, I suppose, for social media and kind of what what the problems that it can bring. Do you think, are you quite relieved looking back that you didn't have, that social media wasn't such a big thing when you were a professional player? And do you think it's a, like, you see the stuff we've seen with Farrell and other players who are taking step back, stepping back from international commitments or playing commitments because of their mental health and, and their family's mental health. Do you think social media really does play a negative role in that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Um, but I'm on it. So I'm a hypocrite. Um I like Instagram. Um, I've got a Twitter. Sorry, I've got an X account, which I very, I, I go on a bit. I do the odd thing. Yeah. Twitter for me is largely, um, it's, it, it. all social media for me personally is largely positive because people say nice things to me. Um, but I, I just found myself over a period of time sort of feeling like getting my tires really pumped up by that and then if someone said something horrible which they always do um because people are just a bit shit when it comes to it um a lot of the time in certain areas especially when they're faceless and all that and they can get away with it people aren't they're two different people really that would you know it it got to the point where that i hated that enough that i basically stopped looking at it so you know i it's it's an odd one because but a lot the thing is a commercial opportunities come from it and a lot of commercial stuff that you do and the way we earn our money is linked to social media having said that there's loads of social media that i really like like at the moment on instagram i'm going through a phase of what why am i following this person this person offers me nothing so gone 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 not like i'm rooted but actually what do i actually want to look at i quite like rugby content coming up i know nothing about basketball but i quite like nba highlights so i watch a lot of those I watch a lot of NFL highlights. So, on that, I don't watch any NFL otherwise, really. I like fighting, so like not doing it, but I like combat sports. So I watch a bit of that. And I'm obsessive about cars, absolutely obsessive about cars, <clears throat> which I don't talk about much on social media, but I am and always have been. Yeah. And I, you know, last night, my wife, two nights ago, my wife came upstairs and I've had my two year old, two and a half year old toddler in the bath. And she's like, oh my God, you're still in the bath. Like, as in, you haven't got her to bed yet. And my daughter's just in the bath, haven't even washed her yet. She's sitting there, her upper body and head is bone dry. Right. She's leaning over the edge of the bath and we're watching rally move, rally driving clips on Instagram, like rally driving legends. And I'm like, This is Alistair McRae. This is Colin McRae. This is you know. And I'm like, that that's what we're doing. And then I flick onto this and she's like, Wow, that car's very fast. And she takes an interest in my car magazines and you know, so that, that there are things on social media that I love. And yeah. But there are bits that I don't love, and I mainly don't love the way it sucks me out of a room like it does everyone else. Mm. Um, so that, the, the whole thing around trolling and all that stuff, that's never going to yeah. end, man. It's never going to end. Like, And until there's no place to hide, it just goes on. They could stop it in five minutes. Everyone has to verify themselves, ID themselves. Uh, it, but they don't. They don't want to do it. So that carry on. People being horrible to people on social media will just carry on, I'm afraid. that's That's kind mm-hmm. of... As it is, so yeah. Love bits of it, hate bits of it, tolerate most of it. There you go. Great answer. Great answer. Right, well,
3: f- flats. We've absolutely loved this. To finish it all off, we've got quite the list of quick fire questions for you. I think some of okay. these you are going to you're going to love. So you know, you've you've learned by now, Wilka, that
1: I'm not brilliant at quick fire. Saying, ADHD, saying, ADHD, mate. ADHD. You see, <laughs> my excuse for everything. That's brilliant. That's yeah. No, I was saying to
3: uh, I was saying to Flo before we started, I was saying, because we talk about these topics all the time and we always f- dream about playing, you know, international rugby, we think these questions are just well, obviously everyone's got an answer, but then I feel like we're going to ask you now and you've probably got, oh, I've never thought uh, Never, <laughs> Yeah, go on then, have a go. All right, we'll, we'll fire away. Starting off, favourite match you've ever
1: played in? Argentina, England, Buenos Aires, 2002. Shouldn't have won, won anyway.
2: Uh, what club side would you want to
1: play for currently? Northampton Saints. Oh, that's my answer.
3: Fake <laughs> front row to have played with. So we're looking for a hooker and a tight head of all time.
1: That I played with. Oh, sorry, no, that you could play with. Uh, Jonathan Humphreys, former Welsh captain, um, hooker, Julian White, tight head, monster. Okay.
2: Most difficult tight
1: heads to play against. Julian White monster <laughs> and a uh, Visagi, springbok um, yeah also monster i know
3: you i know you suggested this in some of the previous stuff you said but favorite sport other than rugby
1: favorite sport probably mma do you ever is that ufc yeah ufc yeah favorite yeah. favorite fighter ufc's not sport MMA is the sport, yeah. UFC is the organisation. <laughs> OK,
3: favourite fighter. So do
1: you like do you mean WBC? No, I mean. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: Favourite fighter.
1: Oh, God. Uh, Randy Couture, favourite fighter of all time. Or Chuck okay. Liddell. Um, now. Um, oh, God. oh Ronda Rousey was also one of my favourites of all time. That's because I am a little bit in love with her as well. Um, yeah, my my all-time favourite Andrei Arlovski as well. My my all-time favourite Randy Couture, the Natural. Okay. Uh,
2: if you could play for any other
3: international side, which one would it be? France. Favorite anthem aside from "God Save the King."
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I love the Italian anthem. I love it, but uh, ask I love. I had a great shout. I think that's probably the best one, but I actually got told off once for playing for England at Twickenham against France and singing along to the Marseillaise. <laughs> I love it. I know all, I speak a little bit of French, not much, but I love it. And commentating on them the other week, I'm singing along in the stands before we commentate and I'm getting odd looks from my co-commentators, but I love it. But I think the best one, the Italian one, yeah. And oh, nice. by the way, the question you asked me earlier, what other premiership yeah. club? What Premiership club would I play for now? Yeah. thinking as I go along, I think Northampton play the best rugby, but if I could leave my house with my rucksack on, walk down the road and play for Bath again, I don't you miss do. playing rugby, but if I could do that, I, yeah, can I change my answer? Yeah. I would like that.
2: Uh, do you have a favourite ground which you played in or currently commentate at?
1: Uh, Bloemfontein to play in was amazing. Uh, to commentate at uh, Marseille should have been it a few weeks ago but France got battered really by Ireland um, so it wasn't full up it wasn't full full throttle really the noise, um, Stade de France incredible when they're on it, incredible
3: One player you wouldn't want, one current player you wouldn't want to get chinned by
1: Oh, Ethan Roots he was a cage fighter wasn't he <laughs> Yeah he yeah, yeah, was yeah. <laughs> I'm alright thanks
2: Dream car
1: Oh, I'm a Land Rover ambassador. Right. Right. So I'm currently sure, building.
3: They're not listening to our little podcast. They might though.
1: be. I'm currently building. I'm the only, I reckon I'm the only, basically, lads, without being too gross, too crass, when you're an ambassador, you get a car, right? So I'm very lucky. And I think I'm the only person who gets a lovely Land Rover every year or Range Rover every year. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm very lucky. And I love them. And they're my friends. But... I think I'm the only one who gets one and also buys them and spends money on them. It's ridiculous because I've got one anyway, but I bought an old one that I'm currently building, um, meant to be rebuilding, but actually looks like I'm building it from scratch because it was so rooted. So um, basically anything with a Land Rover badge on it, Range Rover badge on it, um, but also Just Quietly, Porsche Addict too. but I keep that quiet.
3: (laughs) Pre-match hype song. I don't know if this, was this a big thing when you were playing? Players listening to music before. Yeah,
1: but it was inappropriate. What we, our system was inappropriate, so I won't say it because I'll get into trouble. But <laughs> we had a certain sort of music pre match and a certain sort of music post match. Um, we'll uh, leave it. Well, no, what, what do we have? Um, our best one that we loved and we had a, our best season was um, Nickelback. Oh, yeah? Nickelback. I think it's Nickelback we used to play. Um, but Kieran Bracken used to listen to um, Enrique Iglesias. Oh. Which is the best bit? Um, mm-hmm. I can be your hero, baby. you Headphone, heard it once. Well, I'm mate, chill out. <laughs> 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 uh, any any pre-match meal? I quite like towards the end of my career, they they ditched all the pasta and stuff, which never I never really loved all that, and moved to meat. <laughs> so I remember having um, a little bit of pasta and a uh, bit of I think like fillet steak, sirloin steak, and three sausages. I thought that'll do me. I'm happy to go and play on that I don't know what eat now but that's I was happy with that
3: um, Match day ritual Any like lucky Like no, lucky socks Survive,
1: survive no. the nerves Get through it Hate life Wonder what you're doing there As soon as the ref knocks on the door Ready to go Beautiful But until that point Hell Nice Best post game social if you're, Oh, uh, if you're oh social God Social's everywhere Best post match function Was Montpellier Seafood, Whoa, champagne, just outrageous food. Outrageous food. They take it seriously in France. Oh, my God. Absolutely amazing. But social, Newcastle. Your current favourite player? <laughs> Good one. Um, well, everyone's current favourite player is Finn Russell, really. Because um, he's just fab. My current, this, I really like Chandler Cunningham South oh okay yeah, real deal uh, best, best player in the world at the moment oh dupont yeah yeah
3: and finally the best friend you've made out of rugby what a lovely way to end it what a lovely <laughs> last uh,
1: great shout my <laughs> i
3: got
1: well, some can tru- mates which is you great can tru- a of names in there the people i see most often that so i've got you know like shanks a great mate and you know, I've got, I've got some great mates in the rugby. In terms of who I see most often, who I have be in communication with most often, uh, Danny Grucock, um, uh, who was, yeah, uh, yeah, played for England a million times. And Matt Powell, who uh, played for Saracens, Quins, and Worcester and was once called in, Scrum Half, who was once called into the Wales squad and his family went mad. It was the proudest day of their lives. And when he got there, he was told, that actually brought the wrong Powell in, but he could stay and train for the day. But then he had to go home. They meant Ryan Powell, not Matt. So, well, he didn't even have a tracksuit, didn't even get a bag, um, which I loved. Yeah, but Matt, uh, Matt, and Danny probably of the of the names you you might know. Lovely. Well, that's that's it, flats.
3: But thank you very much for joining us. That's been absolutely brilliant. Cheers, guys. Brilliant pleasure to be on, and good luck. Cheers. So that was a very interesting interview we got there. Wasn't it, Flo, our first big interview? Hopefully we're getting one of those every week out to you, our lovely listeners. But Flo, what were your big takeaways from that, mate?
2: I think uh, two things, to be honest. I think mainly uh, differences in playing for Bath and Sarries. He needed a change, he says. after he spent a couple of seasons at Saris. He felt like the club had stagnated a bit. And in order to improve as a player... He had to move. I think Bath, he said, was a brilliant place uh, he was able to go to. I think a big other takeaway for me was the fact he just put his body on the line week in week out. And I think you mentioned it as well. Though. He got eight caps for England. He said that he felt like he could have had a few more if he had been able to manage his injuries probably slightly better and taking care of his body over a longer period of time. I think that's quite an
3: interesting point. Yeah, I mean, and as you're talking about, I obviously... He wasn't too happy when i introduced him with the eight caps was he but um i found it very interesting how do players go about making a career in the game afterwards especially when say he's only got the eight caps how does he go about um making a career in the game i thought that was really interesting and how he's kind of put a lot of that down to his agent forcing him to get involved in broadcasting you've got you know him kind of Doing the rounds now and then you've got Andy games going News. on G B News Car. Cool. Um I also thought his obsession with Range Rovers and Land Rovers very interesting. Yeah. And um got us thinking, finally, Flo. Now, I've been having a little think about this. He obviously went for Ethan Roots as the player he would least like to be chinned by. Who would you go for?
2: Oh I'd probably go Alessandro Tolani.
3: Alessandro not not Manu. No, no, not Manu. Okay, and a current player. Current player. Oof. Marshon, maybe. Marshon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I think Paul Willemser. Yeah. He'd be a shout. Elizabeth would be. That'd be horrible. it? toy. Oh, maybe not stuffed toy. I, I reckon I could taste that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, right? But anyway, we hope you do. We hope you did enjoy that. Um, as i say our first interview we've got the instagram account coming up so by the time that this is out on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts the instagram account will be up and running so we'd love you to get involved uh leave comments send us a little dm if you've got any questions things you'd like us to, to talk about any potential guests maybe don't go too overboard <laughs> i know flats is, is a brilliant first figure to have but you know don't be kind of messaging saying you want Ardie surveyor (laughs) or or geordie barrett or something like that because it just it just won't happen yeah it just won't happen at this stage um but anyway flo moving on then so time of recording we are the sunday of the third round of the six nations so we've obviously just watched scotland defeat england fourth time in a row to retain the calcutta cup and ireland trouncing Wales. We'll start off with the Scotland-England game because I know you were lucky enough to be there. Yeah. What I've just asked you for your takeaways on that interview. I want some takeaways now on the Scotland-England game. What did you make of it?
2: Pretty poor game, I think, to be honest. I think neither sides were particularly brilliant. I think Scotland were... They were okay in attack, but to be honest, they were mainly helped by some pretty poor handling skills in particular by England and English defence was nowhere to be seen really and pretty terrible all around
3: yeah I mean they showed their early attacking intent I thought from England yeah. and it was refreshing and it was brilliant to see so the first 10 minutes in first England? 10 minutes in 10 nil up I think yeah. um, but you know he's kind of from Borthwick's point of view he's damned if he does he, he's damned if he doesn't I've just seen there's um, an article out this morning saying why did they go for such a an attacking strategy yeah. in, in a must win game and you're there and you're thinking well England fans have been wanting <coughs> England fans have been wanting to see attacking England show threat. that attacking threat that we see week in week out from these players in the premiership and then they go and they start trying to implement such a game plan Scotland score a few a few great tries Um and I don't think I don't think it was Scotland were the favourites heading into yeah. that game wasn't it wasn't as if England were, were expected I suppose to win that um, I think but it was as I said
2: the manner in which Scotland won in terms of especially in that first half you got Furbank trying to catch a ball fumbled it on and Van Merva literally has a walk-in try I
3: wouldn't but, say it was a walk-in he ran about 60 metres I don't know what your definition yeah, yeah. of a walk-in is but um I get what you mean. Scotland capitalised off England's mistakes and I still think it's interesting. We spoke about Felix Jones and the reputation he has coming from the box with their impressive defence. It's taking a little while to implement here for England, is not it?
2: Yeah. Do you think that's the players involved, maybe just the the gap in ability and physicality between them in the box and um, the English players or... What is it exactly?
3: Yeah, I'm not too sure what it is, to be fair. Um, I mean, I don't think it would be... I don't think you were expecting Felix Jones to come in and England's defensive problems to just be solved like that. But I think you would expect to have seen some progress. And they are definitely struggling. I mean, saying that, a, a fair few of those Scottish tries, yes, they were... Um, you know, kind of came off the back of English mistakes. It wasn't too much to do with the actual English defensive system. But I don't think it's holding up too well. I mean, the scrum the line out did look very good yesterday.
2: And what do you make of uh, Fayou Oboso and uh, Finn Smith coming on?
3: Yeah, I mean, Fayou Oboso obviously made the most of his opportunity there when he came on. I mean, Finn Smith, though, he's, he's getting chucked in at the deep end to not get really any game time against Italy nor Wales only a few minutes in both of those games and then to be chucked on against Scotland for 20 minutes when you're 10 points down Finn Russell starting to run the show I mean I, I, I didn't really see the logic in that um, you, you can't what are you expecting him to do do you know what I mean only in his third test cap what did you think?
2: I think yeah, he was slightly measured when he came on um and- Few kicks to the corner weren't especially well. I think his forward pack would have been wanting a bit more from him, to be honest. um They were slightly 10 metres out, probably from the trying where they wanted to to get a good drive on. But I think Faye Woboso, especially when he came on, scored with his first touch of the game, didn't he? And from then on, quite good under the high ball, and he was able to break the first one or two tackles from that
3: Scotland defence. I mean, final thing on, on England. Looking ahead to their next game against Ireland at Twickenham in two weeks' time, I think you've got to you've got to think Tuolangi's going to be back in at 12, and then they'll have a decision to make whether they stick with Slade or they put in Lawrence at 13. I don't think Lawrence is a is a test match 12. He doesn't play. He wouldn't start there ideally for Bath every week if they were choosing their first team. So I think Tuolangi probably gets a gets a a call back in for the Ireland game, and I think they'll go for Lawrence at 13.
2: I will of Daly on the wing.
3: I think Daly's been playing quite well actually, and I think he deserves his his place. I'd be surprised if they if they keep with Furbank there. I do think Furbank has an exciting international career because ultimately, Stewart he's got a lot to work on in that in the attacking uh, aspect of his game. But I mean, Ireland are gonna really go after Furbank in the air especially with Keane and expected to be back for that fixture so yeah they. I think they'd be very naive to not bring back in Stewart. but then a, a word on Scotland then um, I suppose as there is with them every Six Nations they seem to have a different captain new players in and out Jamie Ritchie former captain yeah. was obviously back in yesterday they're doing quite well Scotland aren't they
2: yeah I think well I think I'll take the France game out of the equation from last week and I think it was what Jim Hamilton on Twitter said that uh, they got the fan slam on um, that team decision disrupting their actual grand slam um, against Ireland on the possible last day of Six Nations. I think their back line started to come into play quite well, especially Hugh Jones, Tupolotti, King Kinghorn back I think. It's a bit touch and touch and go for the first ten, 15, 20 minutes, but I think he especially game quite good. Um, at his time in Toulouse, helping out quite effectively, I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that the the backs they have on offer are brilliant. Hugh Jones was was class yesterday, and Carl Stain. You know, he might not grab the headlines like and does, but he never has a bad game. Yeah. I think for Scotland, so very positive for them. Moving on now, Ireland versus Wales. I mean I don't think I think a result like this was probably expected Um, Ireland's 11th win in a row Um, what did you make of that game?
2: I think Wales they did alright to be honest I don't think there was much to um, it weren't it weren't favourites really at all going to the game such a young side against a an well-established Irish team who are top dogs, I think, for this uh, Six Nations. I think Wales... Uh, I think Gatland will be... He won't be too disheartened with where they are. I think a few tight games in the opening rounds and um, to come to this Irish sides. Well, they weren't really ever going to win, were they, if we're being perfectly honest?
3: No, and sorry, when I said their 11th win in a row, that was actually their tournament they've won ele- the last 11 games in the tournament and that's a tournament equaling record really yes with England so they face England in two weeks time and they've got a chance to break that but yeah I did think Ireland were just uh, kind of a different level to Wales I think people were expecting that it was always going to be a challenge for the Welsh but as we have said their- Wales really did you know dig in defensively they were impressive on that front Tommy Raphael is a He's a good find at seven. Yeah. Wainwright really stepping up at yeah. eight. Alex Mann looks like a good a good player at six. So, the you know, there are definitely signs in that Welsh team. And, you know, you, you also remember they've got Dewey Lake out. Obviously, one of their, yeah, both their co-captains from the World Cup. So, signs are there. I, I see you think as well, Cameron Winnett at fullback. You think he's a, a decent player?
2: Yeah, I think, well, who else? I think they've got to take take a plunge with someone and share a bit of faith in him give him a good long run in the team and actually just see where he develops try and not cut and change as little as they can to be honest and just try and create a few combinations I think in that back line for as long as they can
3: yeah no definitely I think consistency is key for them and turning our attention then to Ireland I mean can't really be stopped at the minute can they no no yeah, Do you think sure. they're going to be stopped This Six Nations Do England or Scotland Have a chance of Denying them a Record Second two, Second Grand Slam in a row
2: No Can't see it at all To be honest I think England oh, You might no. say Scotland Is slightly Higher favourites Than England To mm-hmm. stop Ireland But It's in, it's in The Viva isn't yeah, it Yeah The well, Scotland game yeah. yeah So I think the home crowd Behind them That final day the Grand Slam you can't well, it'd take a miracle I think for Scotland especially their pack I think it's just miles behind Yeah. Irish pack and I guess. just think
3: the depth that Ireland have in that pack is so underrated I mean we saw it there um, yesterday using a deploying a 6-2 on the bench again 6 forwards yeah. 2 backs instead of the traditional 5-3 split of 5 forwards and 3 backs Um and Frawley he's taken to international rugby I think a bit like Crowley kind of they're both hitting you know taking their form from from the URC with Leinster and Munster respectively and just hitting the ground running with the, with the national side and I think so much of that has to do with playing behind such a dominant pack yeah. I mean very impressive so Ireland look to be in good Nick encouraging from Wales yeah. um, so France v Italy that's obviously kicking off in just under an hour suppose the main news from the French side is no Gregory Aldrete so that means I suppose they're 8-9-10 the normal 8-9-10 that you'd expect to see for France of obviously Aldrete Dupont and Intermac are all out do you think that's going to hamper them in this game today against Italy
2: it shouldn't to be honest I think the France teams they should be too strong for an Italy side which they themselves are missing a few key pairs I think out out of injury Um, should be quite a good game I think the French might be slightly wary in terms of um, the Italy they've been playing quite well especially in the opening two rounds but I don't think that well they shouldn't face too many problems should they?
3: Yeah I mean Italy not too good against Ireland it has to be said but I suppose that that's got more to do with the brilliance of Ireland, then maybe the downfalls of Italy. But you're right, that was an encouraging first performance against against England for the Italians, and I think they need to try and back up that performance now a few weeks later. First Six Nations game to be played in Lille. Which I think is always a interesting point. Do you I know it's not out of choice, obviously. France played their first game, first home game against Ireland in Marseille. This is their second home game today. They're playing against Italy, as we've said, in Lille and their third and final home game uh, in a few weeks' time against England will be played in Lyon. That's all because the Stade de France is being re- okay. renovated ahead of the Olympics this summer. But do you think that other nations, England, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, they'd benefit from having the occasional Six Nations Test match away from their traditional, their traditional venues, I suppose?
2: I think Ireland would probably be the best... Um, for moving their games around to be honest I think especially their province setup. up yeah. it would be the most natural to move from one province to the next oh, well, we both of us went to Limerick for the Munster Chiefs game <laughs> years ago didn't we yeah you and, enjoyed that one didn't you <laughs> yeah. but I have to say that, that is one of the best stadiums I have ever been to yeah. in my life I think having an Irish national team game there would be outstanding and yeah irish would be the most natural to move around i think they their games england i think you're almost sport for choice eh, in mm. terms of how
3: do you pick i think you'd location. have to you'd have to be looking to bring it up north wouldn't you maybe I old trafford or they've they've played a fair bit at st james's park no. over the, well not a fair bit you know they've had the occasional fixture at st james's park over the last 10 years um, yeah I think you're right England are almost Spoilt for choice But I, I do think They need to try And expand the game a bit And you know All this kind of talk About Twickenham Not potentially being The best atmosphere At the minute For this English side yeah. uh, I think that's been Fairly well documented So why not try And and uh, bring the game To different places Around the country
2: Would you have a Favourite location For England to choose
3: If you could God I ugh quite a tough quite a tough question I don't know um, I do think maybe I don't know if Old Trafford would work because they usually have league games there don't they maybe the Etihad
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. Etihad could work it's a big stadium You because that's my only issue with with Ireland and potentially say your Wales and your Scotland's as well is that they don't actually have big enough stadiums big enough stadiums yeah. say the Toman Park we were talking about in Limerick I think that's about 20 25 25,000 max yeah and you're going from the aviva to there where you're getting fifty thousand in the aviva yeah. it's, a, it's a big drop off but just an interesting talking point nevertheless now wasn't all just happening in the northern hemisphere this weekend was it flow no i think it was the first opening round of the uh,
2: super rugby
3: super rugby pacifica coming back to our screens flow brilliant weekend wasn't it <laughs> yeah
2: we've got a few major talking points don't we i think crusaders first loss in the opening round Will Jordan uh, key player not just for them but also for the All Blacks he's out I think with a shoulder injury for the entirety of their campaign that's going to be quite a big loss for them isn't it especially with Richie Manga leaving at the end of last season
3: yeah that really is a big blow for the Saders I mean the Chiefs the Chiefs looked very impressive Sean Stevenson really looking like he could you know one man's Downfall, I suppose, with Will Jordan can be another man's opportunity. And Sean Stevenson definitely looking to, to force his way into that all blacks um all blacks starting 15. I mean a word on Damien McKenzie as well. That was a that was a wonderful try. If you haven't seen yeah. that try, you know, go on Instagram, go on Twitter, go on YouTube, do look it up, DMAC, Damien McKenzie. Setting up I think he played through Sean Stevenson and who was the I don't know who the nine was that went under the posts, but the Chiefs nine (laughs) (laughs) with a great trim under the (laughs) posts. Um but yeah, he's he's looking like Bowden Barrett in Japan, Richie Mawonga in Japan, D Mac bound to be the next all blacks ten, surely, for the next year or two.
2: Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that. I think he was a bit unlucky, especially over the last couple of years um, with Ben Barrett and Rich Munger playing so well for the Blues and Crusaders, I think now's his time to properly shine, maybe get a bit of a longer run, starting at 10 for the All Blacks, mm. and I think they just will sort of give him, get, give a bit of faith to him, a bit of trust, I think he'll do actually quite well there.
3: Yeah and then I suppose that was the main game so to speak in New Zealand yeah. looking across the pond to Australia I, I'd i like to highlight the, the particular disappointment I suppose for the Western force um, you know they've brought in a number of top internationals Nick White Ben Donaldson in a attempt I suppose to well God, it's not, it's not meant to be a politically loaded term but level up
2: the <laughs> playing field
3: <laughs> no, 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 no. level up the playing field in Australia and they got well, they got thumped in the end by, by the hurricanes, didn't they? 14. 44 Forty four fourteen. So that was very disappointing from the force and it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back.
2: Um I think also a word on Melbourne Rebels. I think there've been a few um few uh words about them pre season in terms of whether or not they'd be able to actually play. I think going into administration possibly, then got absolutely hammered, thirty <laughs> to three by the
3: Brumbies. And another interesting little narrative in that game as well is you've got the two young budding Aussie tens trying to catch Joe Schmidt's attentions. Obviously Carter Gordon, yeah, and uh, Noah Loisio yeah, who's come back from Toulon to the Brumbies. Um, it's quite clear who got Lollatio of the, of the Brumbies quite clearly got the edge over Carter Gordon of the Rebels there yeah. that would be interesting to see how that plays out Ben Donaldson obviously as we've just mentioned 10 for Western Force he was involved in the World Cup didn't have the best game at the weekend but n- undoubtedly that wasn't helped by his teammates another big talking point I suppose away from the field now raised by Scott Barrett um, this confusion about the smart mouth guard so yeah. We'll give a little bit of context for our listeners without going too much into the exact science, because I'm not going to pretend I, I speak for myself. I'm sure I speak for you too that neither of us fully know how the science behind it works. But players are being encouraged to wear smart mouth guards um, that can detect the and can measure the the strength of hits that yeah. they receive and whether they are more likely to have received a concussion because of being tackled or going through a particularly powerful challenge so to speak um, but we saw a few instances over the weekend where players were told that they had to come off to be checked yeah. when potentially they didn't feel they needed to be We, you know, Scott Barrett kind of he was saying that from the Crusaders point of view I think you've made the point about Anton Leonard Brown yeah. um, of the Highlanders looking a bit confused why he was being being told to come off and then obviously I don't know if you saw it but we've got um, Gregor Townsend Xander Fakes and having to come off um, after I think just 10 minutes because of yeah. a because of a hit coming off for HIA um, what do you make about this and I mean it's, it, undoubtedly it's a good thing for the game isn't it yeah. but I suppose you, you still want a bit of the t- you know you want the players to have a bit of a say you don't want the decision fully to be in their hands of yeah. course but a player you know can tell whether they've been hit so yeah. to speak I think
2: it almost comes back to what Flats was saying in his interview I think he he was talking about his was it his hand wasn't it in terms of he broke it and yeah. he was like I'm, I'm playing yeah. and he took cast off gave with pretty much a broken hand about a day or two after it happened he was told what, two weeks uh, off for it to recover I think especially with well these possible lawsuits against so many different of the rugby unions world rugby especially I think it's becoming more and more the case that science and doctors are having such a bigger impact and a bigger say on the game Mm. I think all for the right reasons if I mean perfectly honest but we also want rugby to embrace the physicality and the big hits and if you saw the NRL recently did the promo video yeah. for the first game in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and some of the clips there of the hits were brilliant, to be honest. I think rugby's got to embrace that, that side of it, because at the end of it, it is a physical contact sport and you can run a, run people over you can be hit especially hard yeah. by the opposition and rugby needs to to properly embrace it but at the same time make it as safe as possible.
3: Yeah, no. I mirror those sentiments 100% Now Taking a long shot Obviously only the first weekend We'll do it now We'll We'll remember this Predictions Of who's going to win Super Rugby Pacifica this year The Blues I I wanted to go for the Blues Obviously Dad a big Blues fan But I will go For the Chiefs Chiefs I think they were so unlucky Not to do it last year Top of the league all year get to the final against the Crusaders obviously at the Chiefs ground and they can't do it no Scott yeah. Robertson no Richie Mwanga no Will Jordan now to stop them so yeah. I think they definitely do have a good chance and Flo before we before we end the show any other stories that you think are worth mentioning this week I think maybe just just two
2: Italy beats in France under 20 for the first time yeah. I think they're going to probably reap the rewards in the next four or five years that under 20 side Coming up into the senior side, got Franz Est again kicking off in an hour's time. Yeah. Which should be quite good. And I think finally seven store Antoine DuPont starting and scoring his first try for them and taking them through to the semi-finals.
3: Yeah, that's in Canada, isn't it? Um yeah, French obviously looking for a big um sevens for a lot of sevens success at the Olympics this summer. One of the reasons why they've got the main man DuPont involved and uh, sporting those um, rugby tights yeah, so to speak that, yeah. I did used to own a pair of those when I was a bit <laughs> younger and very quickly had to stop wearing them when I got <laughs> and I got bullied basically <laughs> but what do you make of those for? I could see you in a pair of those playing a bit of hockey couldn't you well I think Ollie would burn to uh, <laughs> those before especially on those artificial browns,
2: grounds so if it's good enough for Ollie it's good enough for me
3: <laughs> and yeah very quickly as well I know good to draw to break, draw attention to that Italy victory over France in the under 20s another interesting stat that is France is only the first time in history they've lost two games in a row at under 20 level at home oh wow interesting. what an interesting way to end the show so that is it from us the Wilco and Hoff show this week um, so we'll be back same time next week looking forward to hopefully bringing you another interview we've got a few names floating about but nothing Signed, sealed and delivered as of yet, as Stevie Wonder would say. So, God, that's a so way if you've 20, got any uh,
2: recommendations, uh, feel free to file them into our up and coming Instagram.
3: <laughs> so thank you all for listening and we will be back with you again next week.
2: Yeah, thank you very much.
3: Have a class week, Flo. Likewise. <laughs> Goodbye.